All right, great. We are back uh, live here. And so again, we are in Second Peter. This is our fourth week in Second Peter. And um, I've titled this week's sermon, Light Up the Darkness. And we're going to be looking specifically at Second Peter 1, uh, 12 through 21. So um, a little bit of a longer chunk. There's actually kind of three paragraphs. And each one of them could have been their own, their own sermon, their own week. Um, this is, uh, this is, this is, I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm very distracted. I, I, I've been sitting in a, in a room in an office staring at a computer and now I'm like, I don't know what to do with my hands now. Right. It's, I'm, 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 uh, it's like, I'm, I'm learning uh, public speaking one-on-one again here. So, uh, if you are watching, just bear with my, I don't know, idiosyncrasies. That's not the right word. All right. Light up the darkness. Uh, one of my favorite movies, at least it used to be, I used to watch it all the time, uh, was actually, I am legend. Uh, with Will Smith, and and I won't. If you've never seen it, it's okay. I'm not going to give any huge spoilers away. Um, but in the movie, there's uh, Will Smith plays a, a, a scientist. Robert Neville is his name, and he uh, there's this major pandemic, right? So this is this is very fitting, um, COVID uh, style here. Looking at uh, I am Legend, and so everybody is turning into zombies, and he's like he's in New York City. He's the only person alive. Um, and he can't really seem to get the disease, uh, but he's like the best person alive, of course, to be able to find a cure for it. Well, there's this scene where he finally finds somebody else who's alive, and he starts talking about Bob Marley. He's playing, he's always playing Bob Marley, and I had never really listened to Bob Marley. Go figure, I wasn't allowed to. I was, I'm imagining uh, growing up to listen to Bob Marley, and so, uh, but but I started to listen to Bob Marley because of this of this uh, movie. And there's this one scene where he's talking to this girl and, and, and he says, you know, Bob Marley, light up the darkness. And she goes, Bob, you know, I don't know who Bob Marley is. And he goes, you know, I shot the sheriff, but I didn't shoot the deputy. Ooh, ooh, ooh. And all right, that was, thank you. Um, and there's this whole thing. And, he, and then he, but there's this quote. Okay, so I've got this, this quote here from Robert Neville, played by Will Smith from I Am Legend. And he is the legend uh, Will Smith is in this movie. This is what he says, though. This is a quote from, and this is, this is a true story about Bob Marley, okay? So he says this, he, that is Bob Marley, had this idea. It was kind of a virologist idea. That's somebody who studies uh, viruses. He believed he could cure racism and hate, literally cure it by injecting music and love into people's lives. One day he was scheduled to perform at a peace concert and gunmen came to his house and shot him down. Two days later, he walked out on that stage and sang. Somebody asked him why, and he said, the people who are trying to make this world worse are not taking a day off. How can I light up the darkness? And that's what Peter's gonna do. He's gonna use that language here. He used the same language in uh, First Peter in his first letter to the church. And so let me go ahead and read the verses that we're going to be looking at this morning. And then we're just going to take our time walking through them, make some gospel applications at the end, and hopefully help us become more like Jesus. So this is Second Peter chapter 1, verses 12 through 21. It says this, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made it clear to me. 
and I will make every effort to see that my departure will always be able to remember these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but you are eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in a human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. So that is the scripture that we'll be looking at. So let me go ahead and um, let's dig into these. So right on in verse 12, he just says, So I will always remind you of these things. Okay, so what things? This is just going back now the last three weeks that we've looked at. He's saying, I'm, he already, he, he's preaching. He does the introduction and, and, and then Paul preached on, on the grace, okay? So, uh, and, then, and then last week looking at working out your faith, that if I really do have faith, I should actually be motivated to do something. So he starts with saying, you've got this gift of God, this faith that has been given to you. And then he's going to say in the next one, the next chapter that we're the next chunk that we looked at is that he gives us everything that we need, everything that we need in our Christian walk in our life. And that is just grace upon grace. That's the title of this series is growing in grace. And then last week looking at, okay, let's add then to our knowledge. He's talking about our, our knowledge of learning more about Jesus faith, and then ultimately ending with fullness and love so that people will know that I'm a believer. People will know that I'm a follower of Jesus by my love, right? So that's what he's saying. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you already know them, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. So wait, Peter, what are you saying here? You just basically shared the gospel in a lot of different ways with people who already believe the gospel. This was something that was just a huge epiphany to me about, I don't know, probably 10, 10 years ago, I was reading a little book and, and I just, it, the book didn't make sense to me because it was, a, it was written by a pastor writing to his church about the gospel. Is it an airplane flying above head? You probably can't hear it. So I'm just gonna power through it here. That's a big airplane. I don't know why, uh, I don't know where he's going. Who even flies these days? I had this epiphany though, right? Why is this pastor writing the, about the gospel to his church? And it's because they need it. Even though I'm a believer and even though you are part of this church and even though Peter is writing to the church, he's saying, we gotta remember these truths. We gotta be firmly established in these truths. Actually, Martin Luther actually said this uh, on a weekly basis that as a pastor, I need to beat the gospel into the congregants heads. And that's a pretty aggressive way to talk about it, but that's what's what it is because we need this. We need the truth. That's why we end every week with a, a gospel-centered application. That it's not law-based, it's not duty-based, it's not licentiousness. Hey, just go about it. You're doing okay, just, keep, just keep, keep it up. No, we want to become like Jesus because he has set us free to be free so that we don't go back to that bondage of slavery and that yoke of slavery under the law or under sin. We need the gospel. Again, why? 
because we are so forgetful. We tend to forget, right? We sing this from uh, Come Thou Fount, right? I'm prone to wander. I'm prone to leave the God I love. I actually had to look up the word prone. I've been singing that song forever. In my mind, I was thinking laying down prone, right? I don't, I don't know why I'm prone. Like it's, it's a uh, prone meaning maybe it's, uh, this is just something I'm, I, uh, this is just where my, my natural inclination, maybe that's what prone means. And so anyways, I looked it up and it actually means likely to suffer from something <laughs> regrettable or unwelcome, likely to suffer from something regrettable. So that I am prone. I am likely to suffer from leaving you, from wandering from you. And that is why we need the truth of the gospel. And that is why Peter says, so I will always remind you of these things. Even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have, I will always remind you of these things. In church, I will always remind you of these things, and I will always remind myself of these things. He says, I think it is right to refresh your memory. As long as I live in the tent of this body, tent, another translation would just be a tabernacle. It's a temporary dwelling spot. Now, this is just a temporary thing that I'm wearing, and someday it's going to be made new and glorious and pain-free but we're not there yet. And he says, Jesus made this very clear to me. And I will make every effort to see after my departure that you will always be able to remember these things. Well, well done, Peter. Well done, scribes. Well done, early church that was able to take care of taking these words from the apostle Peter, of, of reminding us of what Jesus said to us so that we can always remember these truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he has set us free. That there's nothing that I can do to merit that on my own, that he must give me that faith, must, must give me that grace. Then he says this, moving on in verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. Right, one thing about the Apostle Peter, and this is something that has been uh, circulated throughout the centuries, the last almost 2,000 years now, um, people have said and preached and taught that the apostle Peter was crucified upside down because um, he was humble. He, he wanted to, he couldn't even imagine being like Jesus Christ in that way. And so he actually was crucified upside down. So I was trying to do a little research and there's, there's actually a lot of material on this. There's with, there's 10 sources within the first century. All right. Uh, that say that Peter was martyred and that he was, um, uh, by Nero, that he was a, a martyr, an apostle. But but when you look at the first initial one, it's kind of this apocryphal uh, letter uh, called the Acts of Peter. And that's where it where this idea started of Peter being crucified upside down. But again, we got to ask the question, right? Were the Romans taking um, requests of how people should be crucified um, or how they should be executed? Probably not. Okay, so let's just be realistic about that. So did that happen? What, what, the, what the Acts of Peter says, though, in that book, um, is that they had turned the world upside down, which is also in our book of Acts, Acts 17, 6, that when people are talking about the apostle Peter and the other disciples and apostles, it says these men who have turned the world upside down. And so the legend is then to say that he wanted to be crucified upside down because he had turned the world upside down because it was just everything had to do with Jesus. So was he crucified upside down? Possibly, but we don't know. Either way, what we do know is he was martyred. He was, he was killed for what he believed. He says, we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. He died for what he believed. This wasn't just something that he made up or the other apostles made up. 
He then, well, let me actually have a quote here from Chuck Colson. He was an advisor to, uh, to Richard Nixon back during the Watergate scandal. And I, and I read this every year at Easter. Um, and, and, but it just, it just fit here looking at Peter. He says, I, this is what Chuck Colson says, I know that the resurrection is a fact and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. And then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Every single one of them was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would have not have endured that if, the, if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles, 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. So again, Peter says this, for we did not follow cleverly devised stories for when uh, that we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses. Or we got to remember that this is, this is Peter. He's one of the beloved. He's one of the closest disciples of Jesus Christ. And he's saying, I saw this. I witnessed all of this. He says he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is at his baptism with John the Baptist. As soon as he gets baptized, God the Father comes and he says, this is my Son, whom I love, and I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit then comes and descends on him like a dove. And we have this Trinity present right there at the baptism. And what happens right after that? God says, this is my son. And then immediately after that, the Holy Spirit then leads him out into the wilderness to be tested by Satan, to be, to be tempted by the devil. And what does the devil do? He does the same thing to Jesus that he's been doing to humanity since the beginning. Did God really say, if you are the son of God? Well, Jesus, didn't you just hear your father say, this is my son? If you're the son of God, why don't you do these things? And that's what happens to us. And then what happens? Jesus goes, no, and he remembers, this is who I am. I am a child of God. I am his son. And then he goes forth in power and glory and starts his ministry in that way. And I was actually reminded of the Lion King as I was just reading this, right? Remember the, the thing, right? Simba runs away. He thinks that he, he killed his dad. I really was the evil Scar, Uncle Scar. And, 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 and what happens, right? He, he's out there and, and uh, the monkey, I forget his name, or the baboon, right? Hits him over the head. I know where your father is, you know, and he goes, he looks in the pond, right? And then, you know, Mufasa shows up in the clouds, right? And what hits this voice from heaven? And what's he say? You are my son, right? Remember who you are. And then he goes on into victory, right? This is who we are. And this is who Jesus is. And when we are in him and Christ is in us, we are the children of God. He says, we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven. And then when we were with him on the sacred mountain, that there were multiple times where Peter and James and John heard the voice of God talking to Jesus. So let's talk about this light up the darkness aspect. Peter actually uses this twice. I mentioned that before. Peter actually then says in in, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, one of my favorite verses, and we all kind of know these, at least if you've been here since we went through 1 Peter, says, but you, church, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. That we light up the darkness in 1 Peter by proclaiming him, by sharing the good news of the gospel for salvation. But here in 2 Peter, he's actually going to shift it and say, this lighting up the darkness isn't just salvation. This is actually going to be scripture. 
that the Bible, what Jesus and what God has revealed to us in the Bible lights up the darkness. He says this, but we also have a prophetic message as something completely reliable. He's saying, hey, you take my word for it because I was there. I saw this, but also we have this prophetic message. And he's talking about the Old Testament here, right? He doesn't even know that he's, as he's writing, that this is going to be part of our sacred text in the church, the New Testament church. We have this prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it. As a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns, the morning star rises in your heart. For some reason, I can hear like Gandalf saying that, right? Um, as a light rising or shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. That was not a good Gandalf impression. It was just some wise old man saying that. That's what it sounds like. It's this huge culmination and, 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 and maximum aspect that we're getting here of scripture, that this is what the Bible does. It says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. That when they, even the prophets, were writing things down and, 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 and prophesying, they didn't know the full story. But guess what? We know the rest of the story. We know everything there is because we have the full, completed canon, the rule, the scriptures that God has given us. He says in verse 21, For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so what I want to do is give a little maybe hermeneutical message, if you will, this morning. What is hermeneutics? Hermeneutics is the way that we read the Bible. And church, I'm telling you right now that we can't read the Old Testament without understanding the new. And we can't read the new without understanding the old. We have to be able to take all of that and combine them and look at where are we in, in Scripture. And, and again, we're on the other side of the cross. All right, so let's look at this. Everything is about Jesus. And I'm, and I'm, I'm just going to give one illustration. Genesis 3.15, and I've talked about this. I've, I think I've even preached through this passage before. But it's the curse. God has given the curse to the serpent, to Satan, the devil. And he says, you, Satan, will bruise his heel, and he will crush your head. Now, what we have to do is put ourselves in their shoes. So when my, Moses writes these words, as God and the Holy Spirit is carrying along Moses and what he's going to tell the people, he says, you will bru bruise his heel, but he will crush his head. Did Moses understand that when he was writing that? What, what did he understand? And actually, if you keep reading what I think, uh, actually Eve, I think that she thinks the first child that she has is actually going to be the Messiah. I think that when she hears this curse to, to Satan, she's going, okay, there's going to be a Messiah someday from me, right? But she thought it was going to be immediate. God had other plans. And she says, I have gotten a man child from the Lord, right? So she, she thinks, right? That's how they understand it. But again, we, we have progressive revelation, right? We understand very little about salvation and the Messiah in the Genesis 3 account, but we know we need a savior because we have sinned and every human being since Adam and Eve have, are, are fallen and, 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 and depraved in their heart with sin. But that goes up. It never goes down. We never lose information. So this is going up and then we get to the cross and the cross of Jesus Christ then reveals everything and we see that in that moment, it looks like Satan makes a bad blow to Jesus and to the Messiah, right? He bruises his heel, but in that moment, Satan's head is crushed, that he's crushed under the blood of Christ. And I was actually thinking of uh, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. And I know I've shared this analogy before as well, but in that moment, right, if you remember, the witch is standing there over Aslan, who's representative of Christ, and the witch representative of Satan. And what she do, she holds her knife up high, and she slams it down into Aslan, 
on that round table. And then she yells and she screams, the lion is dead. But in that moment, what Satan, what the witch didn't realize was, yeah, you might've bruised his heel, but you see that lion, Aslan, that lion-like lamb isn't gonna stay there forever. He's gonna be raised again on the third day and he's gonna make all things new. And so Satan deals a blow, but Satan is also defeated in that blow. We have to look at all of scripture through that lens. That now I can go back to that passage in Genesis chapter three and say, holy cow, this is about Jesus. So again, above all, you must understand that prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For though human spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, that this scripture is given by the Holy Spirit. And we also have this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. This is the apostle Paul. He says, all scripture is God breathed. All of it, old and new. It's all one story telling the major story of Jesus that someday he's going to make all things new. And we have to live with that future in mind, in light of our real and present realities of living like Christ, becoming more like Christ and killing sin rooted on the foundation of the gospel and his scripture, knowing that it is, it is reliable. That's what Peter says. I'm an eyewitness, but also let's look at just the scriptures that God's batting a thousand when it comes to prophecy. So in application, do you believe what has been written down for us by eyewitnesses? I mean, when we look at the scripture, when we look at the Bible, do you believe it? Do you, do you actually say, yeah, this, this is for me. This is for us and it is reliable. And I, I teach this class every year on the authority of scripture and the inerrancy of scripture and all these different things. And it's one of my favorite classes because every single year, especially as technology has advanced so fast, that they look at these ancient manuscripts and they all just line up perfectly. That it's, re it's a reliable source from actual eyewitnesses and just the fact that the Holy Spirit carried along these individuals as they were writing what God wanted them to know. And then finally, do you know the rest of the story? Right? Do, do you actually know and believe that there is this end Right In Revelation 21, when Jesus is going to be seated on his throne, he's going to make all things new. Do we know the rest of the story? And do we live in light of that as Peter is going to get into more as he gets further on in his letter? Do you know all of the story? Do you know the hope that we have in Christ? And so, church, I will always remind you of these things. I will always remind you of the truth that we have founded on the blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who gave his life for us freely so that we might have life. I'm going to pray and then we're going to enter into a time of communion. I'm going to do that here as workers are changing shifts and all that kind of thing. People just kind of walking around. I'm going to have communion by myself here. That's okay. All right, let me go ahead and pray and then we'll have communion together. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. Again, I thank you for the technology. I thank you for uh, shade from trees. I thank you for life. I thank you for the gift that you have given us all, everyone who's listening. Uh, and not just life, but you have given us life that we might have life abundant, that you have given us everything we need in this life and that grace to help us fight sin, uh, to pursue holiness and godliness. Um, again, because we love you, not because we have to. 
because we want to. So God, now would you be honored and glorified um, as we sing, as we reflect, and as we look at communion now this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.